Chapter 18 of Home Education Series, Volume 3, School Education. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Wayne Cook. Home Education Series, Volume 3, School Education, by Charlotte A. Mason. Chapter 18. We are educated by our intimacies. Part 2. Further Affinities. Affinity for Material. Ruskin's Opportunities. Of the affinity for material, the joy of handling and making, Wordsworth says little, but Ruskin sets out feelers in this direction which began with two boxes of well-cut wooden bricks, and culminated perhaps in the road-making of the Oxford days. Quote, I was afterwards, says he, gifted with a two-arched bridge, admiral in fittings of ossois and keystone, and adjustment of the level courses of masonry with beveled edges, into which they dovetailed in the style of Waterloo Bridge. Well-made centerings and a course of inlaid steps down to the water made this model largely as accurately instructive and I was never weary of building, unbuilding, parentheses, it was too strong to be thrown down, but always had to be taken down, in parentheses, and rebuilding it, end quote. We know how he busied himself with making a small dam and reservoir at both a Hearn Hill and Denmark Hill homes, and how, while still a boy, he scrubbed down with pail of water and broom the dirty steps of an Alpine hotel, because they offended his mother. We feel that in this direction again his nature cried out aloud for opportunities. Intimacy with natural objects. We do not hear much of the intimacy of either boy with natural objects, such as birds and flowers, but here again we feel that Ruskin was deprived of opportunity. His flower friends were garden dwellers, and could anything be more pathetic than this? Quote, My chief prayer for the kindness of heaven in its flowerful seasons, was that the frost might not touch the almond blossom. Wordsworth appears to have waited for his intimacy with wildflowers until he could say of his sister Dorothy, quote, She gave me eyes, she gave me ears. Birds, as we have seen, he knew through the wicked joy of bird nesting. But not only so, that day when the wild cavalcade rode to Furness Abbey, he marked, quote, that simple wren, which one day sang so sweetly in the nave of the old church, that I could have made my dwelling-place, and lived for ever there to hear such music. Ruskin's Flower Studies If Ruskin had not, as a child, a wide acquaintance with the flowers of the field, he made up, perhaps, by the enormous attention he gave to such as came his way and just as his toy bricks and his bridge gave him his initiation in the principles of architecture, so perhaps his early flower studies resulted in his power of seeing and expressing detail. He says of flowers, quote, My whole time passed in staring at them or into them, in no morbid curiosity, but in admiring wonder. I pulled every flower to pieces till I knew all that could be seen of it with a child's eye and used to lay up little treasures of seeds by way of pearls and beads, never with any thought of sowing them." He complains that books on botany were harder than the Latin grammar. 
his pebble studies quote, had there been anybody then to teach me anything about plants or pebbles he says it had been good for me quote. he loved the pebbles of the tay and followed up his acquaintance with pebbles at matlock quote, in the glittering white broken spar speckled with galena by which the walks of the hotel garden were made bright and in the slopes of the pretty village and in many a happy walk along its cliffs i pursued my mineralogical studies on floor calcite and the ores of lead and in indescribable rapture when i was allowed to go into a cave a life-shaping intimacy later we find him going up snowdon quote, of which ascent i remember as the most exciting event the finding for the first time in my life a real mineral for myself a piece of copper pyrites this eagerly sought acquaintance with pebbles resulted in the life-shaping intimacy with minerals to which we owe the ethics of the dust insatiate delight in a book ruskin's as for books we are told how ruskin grew up upon the waverley novels on pope's homer's iliad many of shakespeare's plays and much else that is delightful but he does not give us an instance of the sort of thing we are looking for the sudden king is satiate delight in a book which means kinship until he is introduced to byron his first acquaintance with byron he puts quote, about the beginning of the teen period end quote. Quote, but very certainly by the end of the year eighteen thirty four i knew my byron pretty well all through but cain werner the deformed transformed and the vision of judgment none of which i could understand nor did papa and mamma think it would be well that i should try to so far as i could understand it i rejoiced in all the sarcasm of don juan but my firm decision as soon as i got well into the later cantos of it that byron was to be my master in verse as turner in color was made of course in that gosling or say signet epoch of existence without consciousness of the deeper instincts that prompted it only two things i consciously recognized that his truth of observation was the most exact and his chosen expression the most concentrated that i had yet found in literature but the thing wholly new and precious to me in byron was his measured and living truth measured as compared with homer and living as compared to everybody else he taught me the meaning of chillon and Mireille, and bade me seek first in venice the ruined homes of foscari and valiari byron told me of and reanimated for me the real people whose feet had worn the marble i trod on wordsworth this is how wordsworth took to his books quote, a precious treasure had i long possessed a little yellow canvas covered book a slender abstract of the arabian tales and from companions in a new abode when i first learnt that this dear prize of mine was but a block hewn from a mighty quarry that there were four large volumes laden all with kindred matter twas to me in truth a promise scarcely earthly and when thereafter to my father's house as holidays returned me there to find that golden store of books which i had left what joy was mine how often have i lain down by thy side o derwent murmuring stream on the hot stones and in the glaring sun and there have read devouring as i read 
defrauding the day's glory, desperate. End quote. They must have their food of romance. Nor can I omit the counsel that follows. Quote, A gracious spirit o'er this earth presides, and o'er the heart of man. Invisibly it comes to work of unreproved delight, and tendency benign, directing those who care not, know not, think not what they do. The tales that charm away the wakeful night in Araby romances, legends penned for solace by dim light of monkish lamps, fictions for ladies of their love devised by youthful squires, adventures endless, spun by the dismantled warrior in old age. Out of the bowels of these very schemes in which his youth did first extravagate. These spread like day, and something in the shape of these will live till man shall be no more. Dumb yearnings, hidden appetites are ours, and they must have their food. Our childhood sits, our simple childhood, sits upon a throne that hath more power than all the elements. End quote. Children must range at will among books. And this other counsel, quote, Rarely and with reluctance would I stoop to transitory themes, yet I rejoice and, by these thoughts admonished, will pour out thanks with uplifted heart, that I was reared safe from an evil which these days have laid upon the children of the land, pests that might have dried me up, body and soul. Where had we been, we too, beloved friend? If, in the season of unperilous choice, in lieu of wandering as we did, through vales rich with indigenous produce, open ground of fancy, happy pastures ranged at will, we had been followed, hourly watched, and noosed, each in his several melancholy walk. Words, a passion and a power. Later follows the story of his first enthrallment by poetry. Quote, Twice five years or less I might have seen, when first my mind with conscious pleasure opened to the charm of words in timeful order, found them sweet for their own sakes, a passion and a power. And phrases please me chosen for delight, for pomp or love, oft in the public roads yet unfrequented, while the morning light was yellowing the hilltops, I went abroad with a dear friend. For the better part of two delightful hours we strolled along by the still borders of the misty lake, repeating favorite verses with one voice, or conning more, as happy as the birds that round us chaunted. Unquote. Ruskin's Local Historic Sense The awaking of the historic sense in Ruskin appears to be always, and here is a great lesson for us connected with places. That historic interest and aesthetic delight are one with him is another thing to take note of. We have seen how Byron served him in this way. Again he tells us of the three centuries of my life's thought, Rouen, Geneva, and Pisa, which have been tutresses of all I know and were mistresses of all I did from the first moments I entered their gates. These came later, but Abbeville, Quote, was entrance for me into immediately healthy labor and joy. My most intense happinesses have, of course, been among mountains. 
but for cheerful unalloyed unwearing pleasure the getting side of abbeville on a fine summer afternoon jumping out in the courtyard of the hotel de l'europe and rushing down the street to see sit wolfen again before the sun was off the towers are things to cherish the past for to the end, end living touch with the past necessary but ruskin's want of living touch with the past except as such touch was given by the newly discovered history of the place he happened to be in is shown in his first impressions of rome Quote, my stock of latin learning with which to begin my studies of the city consisted of the first two books of livy never well known and the names of places remembered without ever looking where they were on the map juvenal a page or two of tacitus and in virgil the burning of troy the story of dido the episode of euryalus in the last battle of course i had nominally read the whole aeneid but thought most of it nonsense of later roman history i had read english abstracts of the imperial vices and supposed the malaria in the campagna to be the consequence of the papacy i had never heard of a good roman emperor or a good pope was not quite sure whether trajan lived before christ or after and would have thanked with a sense of relieved satisfaction anybody who might have told me that marcus antonius was a roman philosopher contemporary with socrates we of course drove about the town and saw the forum Colosseum, and so on had no distinct idea what the form was or ever had been or how the three pillars or the seven were connected with it or the arch of severus what the form or capital had been i did not in the least care the pillars of the form i saw were on a small scale and their capitals rudely carved and the houses above them nothing like so interesting as the side of any close in the old town of edinburgh wordsworth and ruskin aloof from the past wordsworth too stood aloof he was aware of quote, old unhappy far-off things and battles long ago but the past of nations did not enthrall him even the throes of the french revolution to judge by what he tells us in the prelude hardly shook him to his foundation though he took a walking tour on the continent at the moment when as he himself says quote, as if awakened from sleep the nations hailed their great expectancy end quote. but for him quote, i looked upon these things as from a distance heard and saw and felt was touched but with no intimate concern end quote. knowledge learned in schools as for the knowledge learned in schools ruskin gives us rather dry details of experiences in euclid the latin grammar and the like but neither boy appears to have been quote, stung with the rapture of a sudden thought end quote, in the course of his lessons unless hawkshead grammar school can take this to itself quote, many are our joys in youth but oh would happiness to live when every hour brings palpable access of knowledge when all knowledge is delight and sorrow is not there end quote but the praise of the unfolding of the seasons follows and i am afraid it is the lore they brought with them that the poet had in his mind's eye comradeship we have all been interested in the late mr rose illuminating will and i suppose most mothers and most masters have pondered the four groups of qualifications for scholarships in 
3. We have fellowship, and in 4. Instincts to lead and take an interest in his schoolmates. It is well that a talent for comradeship should be brought before us in this prominent way as a sine qua non. Here is the rock upon which Ruskin's education split, as he was sadly aware. He never knew the joys of comradeship. Having spoken of peace, obedience, faith, these three for chief good, next to these the habit of fixed attention with both eyes and mind, as the main blessings of his childhood, he goes on to enumerate the equally dominant calamities. Quote, First, that I had nothing to love. My parents were, in a sort, visible powers of nature to me, no more loved than the sun and the moon. I only should have been annoyed and puzzled if either of them had gone out. Parentheses, how much now, when both are darkened? And parentheses, still less did I love God. Not that I had any quarrel with Him or fear of Him, but simply found what people told me was His service disagreeable, and what people told me was His book not entertaining. I had no companions to quarrel with, neither. Nobody to assist, and nobody to thank. Not a servant was ever allowed to do anything for me, but what it was their duty to do. And why should I have been grateful to the cook for cooking, or the gardener for gardening? My present verdict, therefore, on the general tenor of my education at that time, must be that it was at once too formal and too luxurious. Leaving my character at the most important moment for its construction, cramped indeed, but not disciplined, and only by protection innocent instead of by practice virtuous. End quote. Wordsworth, on the contrary, as we have seen, lived the life of his schoolfellows with entire abandon. He was with a crowd of his mates, or he was with a friend, and was only alone in those moments of deeper intimacy which we shall speak of presently. The simple life of his beloved Vale took such a hold on his tenacious northern nature that not Cambridge, nor London, nor, as we have seen, Europe in its time of convulsion, could displace the earlier images or give new direction to his profoundest thought. Scott laid claim to, quote, intimacy with all ranks of my countrymen, from the Scottish peers to the Scottish plowmen, end quote. And we get the Waverley novels. Wordsworth was satisfied to know the fine-natured peasant folk of his own dales and poet souls like his own. Perhaps such limitations went to the making of the poet of plain living and high thinking, but limitations are hazardous. End of chapter 18